Hello, waffle lovers, and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you as always from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. It has been a crazy week in Twins land, in Vikings land, in Lynx land, everywhere here in the state of Minnesota. I'm glad you've decided to tune in, listen to us talk here about Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who tune in each and every week, and a special welcome to those of you checking things out for the first time. Sit back, relax, prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. One note before we begin, for those who tune in regularly, about a month or so ago we had high school baseball coach Jeff Reese on the program talking about coaching and baseball and and both of our great love of that fantastic sport. And in the last week, Coach Reese announced his retirement from coaching baseball. Over 500 wins, fourth all-time in the state of Minnesota. Congratulations to Coach Jeff Reese on his retirement. He will definitely be missed in high school baseball. After this brief commercial break, I'll be back with my interview for this week. This week, we talked to Lucas Seehofer, journalist, physical therapist, adjunct professor. Stick around. Thanks to Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms. They continue to sponsor the program this week. We're focusing on agriculture each and every week as a result of that. This week, we want to talk just a little bit about all of our county fairs and 4-H and FFA and, and all of those things, our young people that are getting involved in agriculture and all the other wonderful things that go along with those programs. You know, county fairs in our area um, come and go kind of spaced out. Waseca County Fairs happened already. Freeborn County Fair is going on right now. The Steel County Fair is coming up. And then, of course, a lot of kids go up to the state fair and show their animals, their other 4-H projects, all those great things. And that's the future of agriculture. We get them interested, and uh, they do a lot of work around the farms and everything else. And so we hope that a lot of them will stick with it and continue in agriculture, provide us all the great things that that environment does. Thanks again to Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms, and good luck to all of our youth at their county and state fairs. I welcome back to the program Lucas Seehofer. He was on earlier this year. We talked about the Lynx. We talked about the Twins. Lucas, um, he's a journalist. He's a physical therapist. He's um, an adjunct professor. In fact, uh, Lucas is out in Boston right now um, doing a little teaching. Lucas, welcome back to Whatever Flips Your Waffle. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This will be a fun discussion I have with you. Yeah, I think so. We, <laughs> I contacted Lucas and said, hey, let's do this. We're, we're talking right now, and it's uh, just, just after the trade deadline passed at 5 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, and uh, 6 o'clock where, where you are out in Boston. But um, we're going to talk trades, and we're going to talk the Twins, and we'll get to the Lynx as well as they near kind of the end of their season. So uh, let's start with this, Lucas. When we you know, come into the trade deadline day, the Twins haven't done anything. What were your expectations at the start of today? Yeah, so I coming into the day, I figured they were going to make a move or two. There had been too much smoke in the fire, or uh, smoke. So whenever there's a lot of smoke, you think there's fire around. Yep. Um, there needs were also so obvious that you knew they were going to pull the trigger on at least a deal or two um but what specifically in terms of starting pitching versus relief pitching versus uh there were some rumors out there that they were looking for an outfielder maybe a catcher um you know 
I don't think I necessarily expected uh, all of the trades that the, the Twins made today, uh, but I do think that every last one of them was needed, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I you know, as I thought about this through the week, you know, and I, I should have basically just stayed off of social media until today anyway. Everybody was getting mad because they hadn't made a deal, but the reality is most teams don't make a lot of deals right until this last day, partly because some teams haven't quite figured out if they're in the hunt yet or not, and other teams are feeling out the best deals they can get. Right, exactly, yep. And, you know, just like with with anything in life, whether it's homework, trades, whatever, unless there's a deadline, people are just going <laughs> to, you know, wait until the last second to get it done, right? Uh, as a, uh, Yeah, yeah. As a teacher, I know that all too well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, usually the last maybe... 90 minutes, two hours before the trade deadline um, are, are kind of when things are most active. Um, and then, like I was saying before we got on the phone here, trades will start trickling in still over the next half an hour or so um, as as they get formally um, submitted to the league for approval. Um, but yeah, usually that last kind of two hours or so, everyone's on the on the edge of their seat waiting to see what happens. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a bizarre... Um, trade deadline to this year just because of the expanded playoffs, more teams involved. You know, you have a team like the Miami Marlins that had some parts that they could move and maybe didn't do as much as some people thought. Uh, you have teams like the Boston Red Sox, who I don't really know what to think about what they did, if they think they're in this or not. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians, the Chicago White Sox don't really do much. I mean, I don't know what to make of it, but let's let's talk about the Twins first and foremost. They get a closer in Jorge Lopez. They get a starter, and if I say his name wrong, Tyler Molly. Um, that's what they needed. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. And then they also added um, closer or uh, reliever from the Tigers. Oh yeah, um, Mike, Michael Fulmer. Michael Fulmer. Yeah. Yep. Who's probably <clears throat> more of your setup man, maybe seventh, uh, seventh, eighth inning kind of kind of pitcher. Um, but yeah, as far as like of all the names on the market, I think you could easily say that um, both the the starters and the relievers that they got today would probably be within the top three to five names uh, at each position in terms of overall talent. So really, to to bring in what the Twins got and for you know the relatively little amount that they gave up. Um, it would be hard to be to be disappointed if you're a Twins fan for what the Twins did today. Right, and and it's it's a, a real balancing act. The the real reality here, and anybody can make a run in the playoffs. The reality is the Twins can, and hopefully after this should make the playoffs. Can they get by the Astros or the Yankees or both? Really, they'd have to probably get by both of them. That'd be a a tough road to climb, tough hill to climb. But anything's possible. But in reality, these guys too, they're getting. Um, they have them for at least next year as well, and in the case of Lopez, two more years, and that's even bigger. Absolutely, yeah. These were definitely moves that were made to not only make the team better this season, um, but also with the future in mind as well, because not only are these players that they brought in today have at least one more year of of team control, but that also aligns up with Joe Ryan, Kenta Maeda, um, Sonny Gray, basically all of the Twins' top talent um, should you know should still be on the roster 
next season, except for maybe Carlos Correa. That's a bit of a unique experience, but <laughs> yeah, um, very unique situation. But that being said, uh, the Twins basically took a look at it and said, hey, we're in first place. We have some clear needs. And we have one of the best shortstops in baseball on the roster that we went out and got during free agency. Let's let's do let's go all in. Um, and for the most part, they did. You know, they got their number one target uh, in terms of the starters. I don't think a lot of people necessarily thought um, that uh, they'd be able to get Jorge Lopez from the Orioles because the Orioles have been. Um, Outperforming expectations to this point, but once they traded, you know, Trey Mancini and whatnot, then then basically all bets were off the table. Um, but really, to get Tyler Molly, who was their number one target, probably you know Jorge Lopez, who was probably a lot of teams' number one relief target across the league, and then to get another quality guy in Michael Fulmer, while still holding on, that's not only their top uh, prospect, but arguably their top three, maybe four prospects. Um, it is pretty incredible. Well, yeah, when I started looking at the names that the Twins gave up uh, in order to get these guys, and you look at who they gave Baltimore, um, Cade Povich, Yanier Cano, Juan Nunez, Juan Rojas, you know, and Cano's the only one who was in the major leagues at all. None of these guys are ones that I at least looked at and said, oh, man, that's a tough one to give up. Yeah, you know, Povich, I think he's got potential, you know, mid-range, mid-level starter kind of potential, maybe like number three if he he hits his absolute ceiling. Um, Some of the uh, prospects that were given up uh, in return uh, for Molly, particularly Spencer Steele, uh, Steer, excuse me, and uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand, um, they're both solid players, but they're also both probably either third baseman in the long time. Uh, in the long run, or in Encarnacion Strand's um, situation, maybe a DH. So if you look at those positions, well, third base is probably going to be pretty locked down for the foreseeable future uh, with Miranda, particularly playing so well. Um, I wouldn't even necessarily rule out Royce Lewis eventually seeing some time at third base as well once he recovers from his, his knee surgery. Um, and DH types are, are some of the most, uh, you know, easy easy players to, to acquire during free agency or doing trades or, you know, whatever. So, yes, they gave up some really good players that have some pretty bright futures, but it would have been tough for them, at least in the short term, to see pretty significant playing time in Minnesota. So those are exactly the type of prospects that you go out and say, hey, you know, these guys are, are studs. Uh, give us one of your studs in return, and that's exactly what the Twins did. Right. And Encarnacion, Strand, and Steer are the biggest ones that I latched onto and went, oh, okay, you know, these guys are really having, they're having good years in the minor leagues and stuff. But, yeah, if, if, if you're the Twins, you you want to make that run. And part of this is maybe, I, I just keep kind of being hopeful here, to entice Carlos Correa to think about staying. You know, we are building, we're going to have these guys for a year, two years. Stick around. Maybe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you look at a lot of the tweets and some of the uh, comments from uh, general manager front office types uh, with the twins. Uh, they were basically saying, like I think even Rocco Baldelli said it uh, before uh, tonight's game with the Tigers, that Correa was in his office last night saying, like, you guys should absolutely hold on to Jose Miranda. He's going to yeah. be a star. Don't be a let him go. He was giving them input as far as which players um, they should go and, and try and target, which players he has experience with that he thinks would be good clubhouse fits. Uh, clubhouse fits. You know, so part of that is just him being a really good teammate, you know. Um, those are things that, 
not every player in his situation would necessarily do. Um, but I do genuinely believe that Carlos Correa has thoroughly enjoyed his time in Minnesota. So him enjoying his time in Minnesota and him giving the, the front office feedback as far as which players should uh, be traded for or which players should be targeted is not a guarantee uh, that Carlos Correa is back. I think that no matter what, he's going to opt out of his contract at the end of the at the end of the season to try and get more in free agency this coming off season. But I, you know, I think any good news that's coming out that says Carlos Correa is enjoying his time in Minnesota should be seen as a positive. Yeah, because uh, that means they they at least have a shot to resign him. Right. Who knows how big of a shot that is <laughs> in the long run? But they'll they'll have a shot, which well, is all you can ask for. And I just you know he he says everything right. He, he does everything right. Um, and I agree with you. He will opt out. There's no doubt in my mind. But you know, I, he's not going to go back to Houston. Uh, he can't go to the Yankees. That would be just the end of the world. Um, and if he's looking at American League, he's got to be saying, "Well, if I want to win, mm-hmm. this is maybe my best shot outside of those two markets." I mean, you have a Seattle team that's up and coming, and and some of these others. You know, Cleveland's going to be around and be good for a while, I think. But uh, yeah, I have a, I have a hope. I'm optimistic. I guess we'll see. Uh, we got Lucas Seehofer back on whatever flips your waffle here on 365sportscast.com. It is trade deadline day, and as as you listen to this on Wednesday night for the first time, we'll maybe have recovered from all that. Uh, you know, it, I always find it interesting, the case of a Michael Fulmer, he's just walking across the diamond tonight. I, that's Yeah, I literally just saw a picture of him on Twitter, literally walking yeah, <laughs> across to the different locker room, to the Twins locker room. Yeah, it's. I, I've always wondered about that situation. That's ha- that's happened a couple times here today, where teams are like their players are literally sh- uh, switching uh, clubhouses. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you you think that I don't know? Would that be would that be awkward? Because now all of a sudden your your friends are your enemies. But yeah. It would also be a cool opportunity, especially when you're going from a team like the Tigers who have no shot to a team like the Twins who are in line for the playoffs. Right. I think there'd be a lot of a lot of emotions going on. I think so too, and and whether you'd put Fulmer in the game tonight or not probably depends a lot on game situations. But he maybe needs a day to sort of soak it all in and and get used to the way the Twins do things. But um, it, it, it's what what are the you know what are the uh, repercussions that you think immediately when it comes to who is affected on the Twins roster when we bring these three guys in? Yeah, so I think the obvious. Um, player that that uh, you you have to look out for is probably Dylan Bundy, just because Molly's coming in um, and potentially taking his spot in the starting rotation, particularly once uh, some of the the pitchers who are injured um, become healthy again. Um, so he might be someone that maybe they transition him to a bullpen role. Maybe they eventually designate him for assignment. It's it's tough to say at this point. Okay, but he's one name that comes to mind. Um, we've already seen some other moves um, where, well, Miguel, Miguel Sano was actually just placed on the 60-day IL again. Um, so that frees up a roster spot and also probably signals that his days in Minnesota are, if not done, yeah. darn near close to yeah, being done. Yeah, exactly. Um, then uh, Jarrell Cotton was also designated for assignment uh, to help kind of bring on uh, uh, Lopez and Fulmer. Um, so some of those more more fringe guys, I think, are the ones that are going to be, you know, the the ones that the Twins aren't committed to long term, um, that are taking up, uh, you know, forty man spots, but haven't necessarily been playing all that great 
uh, this season. Um, those are the types that you're going to want to watch out for. That being said, the, the Twins are still dealing with a whole lot of injuries at the moment, so there's yeah. going to be a whole lot of roster fluidity uh, even over the next couple of weeks. Right. Well, and it's it's really unfortunate, like, um, as I told you before he came on, and my listeners can know, I was at the game on Monday night, and boy, Cotton came in and, and pitched really well out of the bullpen. Uh, did a nice job kind of bridging the Twins to an opportunity where they could come back and win the game. Uh, you know, Aaron Sanchez came up to pitch Monday. I would guess that that's a one-time-and-done thing probably as well. He looked pretty good in, in his debut with the Twins. Uh, but it is a business. You have to put the best guys out there and uh, and see what comes. Exactly. And, yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, Sanchez, I believe he was already designated for assignment today. Um, and then Gerald Cotton, he's been designated for assignment a handful of times already this season. It's right. gone through uh, waivers without getting claimed. So, I mean, just because the, the Twins designate somebody for assignment doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be off the roster or they can't be bad. My guess is that Cotton will probably fall through uh, waivers again, uh, accept his assignment to, to AAA, and he'll be back in St. Paul. Yeah. Um, with Sanchez, I would assume probably the same thing. Um, but you, I guess you never know. Yeah, it, it well, it's one of those things where you come down, and the Dylan Bundy thing is interesting, too. You know, he's had these moments, and he started the season really well, and you thought, well, this is a great investment, a great chance, and, and it seemed like it, and he's had a few moments every now and then, but between him, Chris Archer seems to be breaking down a little bit um, as well, and I, get, I grow concerned, and I've thrown this idea to previous guests. I'll throw this at you as well. I'm convinced that what the Twins should do is take, like, a Chris Archer and a Dylan Bundy um, or maybe a Bailey Ober if he gets back or whatever, and these two guys are are in one game. Like Archer starts, he goes three innings. You bring in the other guy, you got four innings. Instead of Archer tonight's going to go three or four innings, and then you have a bullpen after that, and that gets really difficult on the bullpen. Yeah, and I, and I think that does make a ton of sense. Um, not many teams around the league have really done that, and I'm not entirely sure as to why um but yeah i mean that would make a ton of sense right because you don't really necessarily want archer going you know through you definitely don't want him to face the batting order three times which means you're he's probably limited with the amount of hits and walks that he gives up you're probably limited to like three maybe four innings with bundy you know same thing you want him to go through the order once probably you know one and a half two times at the most and again that's you're looking at three, four innings. Well, if they each pitch four innings, boom, it's the eighth inning. Yeah. <laughs> you bring in Duran. Right. <laughs> now, um, that could be potentially something that we see happen like every, I don't know, maybe every couple weeks or something like that. Um, I think it would probably be more likely to happen if uh, one of them was left-handed. Because then you could just right. uh, do some do you know some some shenanigans to try and um, you know face you know give give teams different looks I guess for extended periods of time and then how do they alter their their lineup and that kind of stuff but it is one of those things that it makes a, a ton of sense and, and teams just haven't started doing it yet and uh, I'm not uh, entirely sure as to why. Well, I'm figuring this is my brilliant million dollar idea and uh, somebody else will take credit for it and and <laughs> we'll go, go. yeah. Is there ever going to be a settled, you know, a set rotation in the bullpen now, 
or is, is uh, Rocco going to continue with this? It kind of depends how they're doing or who they're going to match up against, whether it's Lopez or Duran in a closers role. It's really nice, the idea to have them in an eighth and ninth inning role and say, well, whichever way you trot them out there will probably be fine. Yeah, what I would imagine is, is probably going to happen is that you're going to see Fulmer um, kind of function more as that seventh, eighth inning setup guy, like I mentioned before. I think you're probably going to see Duran pitch the highest leverage spot. Now, that some night that's going to be the ninth inning. Some nights that's going to be the sixth inning, you know? Right. I think they're going to use him as kind of the, oh, there's a potential fire coming here. Let's let's stamp it out, or let's, let's nip this in the bud before the fire even starts. He's going to be that kind of guy. Um, I could see, it wouldn't surprise me if we see Lopez pitch much more in the ninth inning just because that was his primary... Uh, primary role with the Orioles was pretty much just pitching in the ninth inning. Um, and he's been, you know, other than his couple of outings against the Twins, he's had some, he, I think he, outside of his outings against the Twins, his ERA is like less than one this season or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, so I could see him pretty much mainly being uh, the ninth inning uh, guy. And then uh, Duran coming in to face, you know, maybe the, the three, four, five hitters or the two, three, four hitters whether that be in the seventh inning, the eighth inning, the sixth inning, you know, whatever, uh, when they when they run their statistical analyses, they say, hey, this is the highest leverage point in the game. I think Dur- uh, Duran will get that role. Okay, and that makes sense. Uh, when when we, if you you know stack up now the Twins rotation and you say, okay, let's look at the potential. They're not there yet, but the potential um, of a series uh, in the playoffs. How do you stack up these starting pitchers? Provided you can set it up however you want to, you got enough rest. Who's number one, number two, number three? Yeah, so I think at their peak, um, the, the top three I, I think are going to be pretty clearly Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, and, 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 and Tyler Molly. Um, now, depending on who goes game one, who goes game two, who goes game three, will probably depend on one, the matchups, um, and two, kind of where well I'll put it this way I think there's an argument to be made uh, that the team's best pitcher should start the second game of the series because either you're already up 1-0 and now you're in a commanding position to go up 2-0 or you're down 0-1 and you need to win that second game to even up the series Okay. so I think what I would probably do is pitch I probably want Sonny Gray, either Sonny Gray or, or Tyler Molly, to be that um, game two starter. Um, I think game one, I'd probably go with Joe Ryan, just because he kind of has the most variance among the three, where he can either be extremely dominant or he can be like the other night and give up 10 home runs. Right. <laughs> you know, if he gives up three or four home runs in game one and they lose, like, yeah, it's less than ideal, but it's not. It, it doesn't, you know, clinch the series for the other team. Right. Um, whereas with Sonny Gray, you get a little bit more experience. Uh, with Tyler Molly, you probably get a little bit better stuff. Um, so I'd probably go Gray, or excuse me, uh, Ryan, Gray, Molly would probably be um, my top three. But really, you could go, you could go put them in any order. Right. I, I like the idea of, of Ryan in game one for your exact reasons of, Okay, it's not the end of the world. It's not a clinching game, um, you know. With this young guy out here, the other two have some more experience. Uh, 
um, and and put them out there. And you know, the other part of this too is now you have Gray and Molly, former teammates, and that's got to help the acclimation process too. Yeah, absolutely. And and once it was rumored, kind of at the at the maybe like one or two weeks ago that the twins were kind of honing in on Tyler Molly. It was like, well, that makes a lot of sense because they made that trade for Sonny Gray back uh, during the offseason. It's always easier for two teams to link up if they have a history of linking up, you know, in the past. Right. Um, I do think it's interesting that, you know, the Reds had Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, and Tyler Molly, <laughs> all three pitchers who were thought to be, like, really highly sought after by opposing teams, and yet they were just a, a, just a terrible team over the last handful of years. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I always find that interesting. But... Yeah, you know, I think it's always easier to pull the trigger on trades with, with people you're familiar with. So when, it, when we heard that the, the Twins were, were fishing around on starters, uh, but were really kind of honing in on Tyler Molly, I wondered if it, if it wasn't because one day the Twins already kind of knew that they were going to be able to be outbid by other teams for, for Castillo and uh, for Montas in particular. Um, and then, yeah, and then it, it just so happened today that that's exactly how things went. Right. And I always thought Montas, if you were going to get him, you were going to get him in the spring before the season started. If you had any shot at him, otherwise it was going to be, yep, here come the Yankees, and they're going to throw everything they can um, to get him. Because the Yankees really, um, the, the moves they're making and stuff, they, they figure this is a shot to win the World Series, as it is a lot of years for them, but... Um, and, and then we look to across. We look across Major League Baseball. Juan Soto, um, a huge trade going to the San Diego Padres, and uh, Josh Bell comes along for the ride as well. Does this put the Padres maybe a more on a level with the Los Angeles Dodgers in the National League? Oh, I think definitely. Um, you know, I I was seeing some people um, today saying that the Juan Soto trade was maybe the biggest trade in MLB history, and although that that sounds excessive at at first blush it might truly be like the Padres are now have the talent level akin to the Dodgers um and all of their their three best players are like 24 or younger which is just insane and you know they, they they gave up like the majority of their top prospects but they still have a pretty deep farm system like this trade not only gets makes the Padres much better now, and they were already a really good team now. Um, it not only makes them a much better team now, but it will keep them in a good position to be a good team for, for many years to come. Right. And they even added, you know, Josh Hader. They traded Taylor Rogers to Milwaukee, got Josh Hader um, for their bullpen. I, it's, I, w- I was very glad that the Twins played the Padres prior to the trade deadline. You know, and, and yeah. even though they only won one out of three and really – could have won two out of three. Um, that that it would be a, a terrifying team to face down the stretch. Um, we don't have to worry about that unless we see them in a potential World Series. Any other trades jump out at you across Major League Baseball where you say, "Wow, this team really took some steps to make themselves legitimate." I'm actually going to take this the opposite direction. Okay. Um, I think most of the, the trades that were were done today were, were fairly respectable, and the teams that were looking to get better got better. The teams that were looking to tank tanked. Um, but if you look at the AL Central, right now the Twins lead the Guardians by one game, yep. I believe, and the White Sox by three games. The Guardians and the White Sox didn't do anything right. today. Right. They, 
I think the White Sox got one reliever, uh, and the Guardians didn't make any trades. So we're we're sitting here saying like, hey, the Twins had some obvious needs. They went and addressed them. They should be a much better team moving forward. And you look at the team like the Guardians or the White Sox and you say, hey, these guys are within striking distance of winning uh, winning the AL Central. Especially you look at a team like the White Sox, who's who were projected to be one of the best teams in the AL this year and have just totally fallen flat on their face. To not do anything leads me to believe that you know these owner the ownership and the coaching staff of these teams are saying. Hey, this is just not our year. Which to punt when you're only a game or three back at the beginning of August is just <laughs> remarkable. I think if I was a, a a fan of those teams, I'd be very very angry at the moment for the for the lack of, especially a team like the White Sox, who has shown that they will be aggressive in the past in acquiring talent, um, and that they're willing to do um, what it takes uh, to to win the AL Central. Um, to just do nothing, to just sit on their hands and do nothing has, has got to be just a deflating feeling, not only for the fan bases, but for the teams as well. Right, because the teams sitting there, they were, just about everybody said they were going to win the AL Central this year. Teams were, you know, pundits were predicting they had a chance to go to the World Series. That talent is still there. Like you say, they've, they've kind, of, kind of fallen flat. I lay some of that at the feet of Tony Larusa, but um, yeah, to not do anything. And, you know, here you also have the you know the Orioles who are only a couple games out of the wild card spot, and they're dealing away guys, and what's their fan base saying? Well, we finally have hope, and and now you're trading that hope. It's a it's a weird trade market. Do you really? I think some of these teams are saying, do we really have a shot if we make the playoffs? But then you look at like the Seattle Mariners doing some things, saying we just have to make the playoffs for once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you look at. Uh, a team like the Twins, they're like, we not only have to make the playoffs, we have to actually win a game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if, if things were to, uh, if the season were to end now, it would be the Mariners versus the Twins in the first round. That would be like, tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> how incredible would that the team that hasn't been to the playoffs in like 15, 20 years versus the team that hasn't won a playoff game in like 15 to 20 years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who comes up on top? Well, and uh, yeah. And you got to imagine the, the networks, the TV networks would love that because that's a storyline that brings people in to watch that are not just from Minnesota and Seattle. Exactly, and I think who would be there looming in the second round? I think it would be the the Yankees, if I, if I'm remembering the the bracket correctly. Um, well, so I think yeah, it'd, be, it'd well, be an incredible storyline, that's for sure. See, I think we'd play Houston. Are they, Houston. they would be we'd be the three seed. They'd be the two seed. I think we'd end up playing them, but I don't know. I can't. It, it changes all the time, and so yeah. Um, well, I mean that's probably true, but even then you've got. Carlos Correa yep. going up against the, the Astros. There's still a storyline there oh, too, you know. Of course, of course, yeah, and and I, you know, I, I have great hopes that the the streak will come to an end this year, but I'm not really satisfied with that. I feel like if you win your division, you should win the first round of the playoffs, and and Seattle, who I thought was a, a legitimate playoff contender, has really come on and done some really nice things. Uh, they certainly wouldn't be an easy out. Nobody is because you just never know, but. Um, we just got to get there. And right now, these moves, certainly the fan base has to be excited here in Minnesota. It'd be a great night to be at Target Field and throughout this homestand here when Toronto comes to town too and say, hey, and maybe people start showing up because I think the only games they've really sold out or come close are the Milwaukee games. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes you'll see um, those... Um, first few series after the trade deadline when, when people are st- trying to get a, a, a hold of who are these guys that the, their teams um, traded for. Um, 
you'll see a boost in attendance that way. And if they come out and they, you know, let's say sweep the Tigers and take two out of three against uh, uh, Toronto, like, I mean, that, that's what more could you ask for? Yeah, because they've got 20 home games in the month of August. Yeah. And and it's not it's not easy competition, uh, but but now's the time to make hay. I think we hope exactly. Yeah, twenty games at home. Uh, you just much upgraded the the roster to a huge extent. Uh, you saw your rivals within the division not do a single thing. Like the Twins have to capitalize on this. Right. Yep. We've got Lucas Seehofer back with us here on Whatever Flips Your Waffle. He writes about the Twins. He writes about the Lynx. Uh, he teaches. He's a physical therapist. And I want to tap into your physical therapy background now, Lucas, because Alex Kirilov and that wrist are flaring up again. I'm really concerned because apparently this has been bothering him for a little while. And being at the game Monday, I couldn't believe when he went into the outfield um, to replace uh, Kyle Garlick, who got hurt. And I thought, well, he can't even swing a bat. And of course, then they just had him out there for defense till his at bat came. But I'm just very worried that this is a long-term problem and he's never going to get rid of it. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough to say without knowing, you know, specifically what's going on in the the wrist itself. But um, just because of the way the, the sport is played, you know, um, in terms of throwing and hitting and that kind of stuff, it puts a lot of pressure on, on, on the wrists. Um, now, I know he did get a cortisone injection. Um, which helps kind of reduce swelling, get rid of some pain, that kind of stuff. Um, which, you know, is not something you want to do more than maybe once every three, four months. Right. Um, just because of, of the effect of the medication on the surrounding tissue, it's not always good for it to do it more frequently than that. Um, but, you know, I think at this point, he uh, he keeps saying that, that he's not overly concerned. That they, I know the twins keep saying that they're not overly concerned. Um, but I do think you have to have it at least in the back of your mind. Um, chances are it's going to flare up from time to time, just like if anybody who has you know, who's had back pain, you know, that'll probably um, flare up every now and then too. So to, to have a flare up every now and then is not something that's overly concerning in my mind but it's it's how bad is the flare-up right does it make it so like so like he said like i i just can't swing a bat i mean that's pretty bad because yeah. <laughs> that's you know something you have to do to be successful at playing baseball right um is it possible that it'll decrease uh not only in frequency but intensity as his as his career goes on uh, you know you can't rule it out um but the whole thing is just so mysterious and just so variable at the moment that it's tough to give a a firm, definitive answer. Right. On the other hand, you know, we talk about flare-ups. People were pretty judgmental of how they were handling Byron Buxton at the start of the season. But it's certainly, I should, I'm knocking on wood here. You can't see it or hear it maybe. But um, he, he's on pace to play many more games than we thought he would. And it seems like the Twins were correct in how they're handling Buxton. Yeah, you know, I think... What a lot of people maybe got misconstrued was they thought that if the Twins held a, you know, treated him this way, that it would prevent injuries from occurring. You know, it was it was never necessary necessarily guaranteed to prevent him from getting injuries. It was to put him in the best position possible to one, maybe not have as many injuries, and if they do happen, have them not be as severe, not as long lasting, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yes, he's been dealing with that knee uh, all season. Um, it sounds like it's 
more of like a patellar, like a like a tendinopathy uh, kind of thing, um, less so than like anything like specifically structurally. Um, I know he went for, I think he went for an MRI today just because it was a little more uh, sore, but I don't think there haven't been any um, any results yet that I'm aware of. Um, but yeah, you know, handling him in that fashion was always designed to, hey, how can we put him in the best position to stay as healthy as possible? And I think, you know, he's said it from the, from the jump. Um, the twins have said it from the jump. Rocco Baldelli said it from the jump that they're supportive of this decision, and it seems to be working out because right now, you know, he was starting the AL All Star game. He's hit 26 home runs. He's basically setting uh, career high numbers across the board, or, or close to career high numbers across the board, in, in many advanced statistical categories. Um, so I think it would be difficult to be overly upset uh, with the way things have been handled so far. Right, and and boy, they get their use out of the MRI machine. Uh, you know, between him, uh, Garlic, I know is going to get some imaging done. Um, you know, Kirilov, Max Kepler with a broken toe. Do we, you know, that's one of those things that it's he's just going to have to kind of. It's not really that's hard to heal if you're going to play baseball. You just have to kind of deal with it a little bit. Yeah, and it can take bone anywhere from four to eight weeks to heal completely, depending on the size and the location of the fracture. Um, my understanding is that the fracture is in the pinky toe at like um like in the toe itself not in the like in the foot uh which those bones can take a little bit longer to heal um so with the the pinky toe fracture it's really probably just more of a pain tolerance kind of thing right uh, more than anything right and obviously um you know running on it swinging swinging and twisting on it probably doesn't feel all that good right now um so the, the move was to, to put him on the IL. Right. And being at the game Monday, Mark Contreras out in right field made some really great defensive plays. You're not going to get anything out of his bat, but um, you just need somebody who can play right field and target field very well, and he was showing a little bit of that, hopefully, as well. Uh, we're going to yeah, we're gonna switch topics here. Let's talk. Um, you're, you're, you follow the Lynx. You write about them. Um, big Lynx fan. And, and when we talked before the season, you said, I, I think they really should make the playoffs. They're not going to be one of the top teams. And as we sit here with five games remaining, and as you're listening to this on Wednesday night, they're in the midst of a game. Um, they're a game out of the last playoff spot. It's been up and down. How good are their chances to still make the playoffs here? Well, from a talent standpoint... I still stand by what I said right. <laughs> at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, they, they've been just, their season has been so up and down in terms of injuries and, and roster turnover. And um, if you look at their record, you say, well, they're 12 and 19. I mean, that's not all that great. And it really isn't. But if you look at how they've played over the last 15 games, they're 9 and 6. They have, for a time there, they had the number one offense in the entire WNBA. Um, so they're better than their 12 and 19 record indicates. Now, as far or tw- uh, yeah, twelve and nineteen. But as far as what are their chances to make the playoffs? I mean, they're they're one game back with five games remaining. Um, so that in and of itself tells us that the odds are probably not in their favor. Um, especially since of their last five games, uh, two of them are against the Seattle Storm, and one of them are against uh, the Connecticut Sun, who are who are t- two really strong teams right. uh, at the top of the standings. Um, so they need some things to fall their way. But I also think that if you were to start the season today and they would have this same roster and this same availability moving forward, 
they probably have the talent of like a fourth and fifth seed. Right. Um, so I think it's one of those one of those situations where even if the Lynx don't make the playoffs, it wasn't because they didn't have enough talent. It was because pretty much everything that could have went wrong went wrong for them <laughs> at the beginning of the year. Right. And then when you only play 36 games in a season, you run out of time that much more quickly. If they played 82 or even, heck, 60, you know, like, uh, like the NBA plays 82, I think they'd make the playoffs. But because they only play 36... You know, they're just, they might just ultimately right. run out of time. Right. Well, and like you had talked about before the season, you know, roster construction is different in the WNBA, and, and you have um, some of these ladies that have, they're going to have a baby, um, and injuries, and how you deal with the people that were playing overseas. And it just, like you say, it really hasn't broken their way this year. Sylvia Fowles has been hurt at times, too. And, um, you know, she's still a talented player, even her last season. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, if she wanted to to keep playing for another three to five years, she probably could. Um, and then you look at the, the Lynx's bench, um, a story that I wrote about recently for the next. They're number one um, in in scoring, and they're number two, I think, in offensive efficiency and, and that kind of stuff. So really, if you look at the, the Lynx's bench unit, they are probably the best overall bench uh, in the WNBA. If not the best, probably the second best. You look at Sylvia Fowles, who's one of the greatest all-time uh, probably not an MVP candidate type anymore, but still one of the best players in the WNBA. So usually if you have one s- star and a really good bench, you're a playoff team. Um, and I think that just goes to show how wrong, how the extent to which things went wrong for the Lynx at the beginning of the year. And then yeah. they have a star and they have a great bench and they might miss the playoffs. Right. <laughs> well, and I, as I looked at their schedule, I noticed the very difficult teams. And it's not like... Those are still teams in Seattle and Connecticut that have something to play for with you know positioning for the playoffs and stuff. Um, the the game that jumped out at me that they have to win is the Atlanta Dream, a team that's just ahead of them. They'd have to leapfrog them to get to the playoffs, so you have to beat them. Yep, and if they beat them, then they own the tiebreaker over, over Atlanta. And they've already clinched tiebreakers over Phoenix um, and I think the Sparks as well. I think so, yeah. So, so three three of the four teams that are ahead of them in the standings, if they beat Atlanta, they'll have owned the tiebreaker over them. So again, they they have a great bench, they have a star, they own tiebreakers, and they're probably still going to miss the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what can you do, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's uh, it's it's a long streak that they've had making the playoffs that might come to an end. We hope not, but. Um, they have represented Minnesota well in professional sports, as um, you know, compared to some of our other teams as well. And so they are a championship team, and sometimes we forget about that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Lucas Seehofer, thanks for joining us again this week. It's been a, a fantastic day for the Minnesota Twins, and uh, we look forward to them making that push to the playoffs. Uh, thanks for all your insight. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll definitely have to do this again. It's always, always fun chatting with you. Sounds good. And now it's time for the State of Minnesota Sports. Certainly lots of things going on, as we talked about with Lucas, uh, as far as the trade deadline goes and the Twins. But let's look around at some other areas of Minnesota sports as well. Let's look at the Minnesota Vikings. Of course, they are maybe not foremost in everybody's minds as training camp has just started. But some things that have come out of training camp so far, and the most unfortunate part, is Irv Smith Jr. is out. They hope to have him back. Uh, by week one, that is their their goal. But this is disappointing for a player who was out all last year, and and really they were talking about um, 
you know how important he would be to add to this offense. But he had thumb surgery on Tuesday, um, and again, right now they're hopeful he'll be back in time for the Packers. But boy, that's difficult when you're you're dealing with a new offensive system, and you can be at training camp, but you're not getting the reps out there and and that understanding when you're quite on the field of what's going on all the time. Uh, so you know the difficulty there of well. All right, who's going to step in as a starting tight end if Smith isn't back? Uh, and you have Ben Ellison and Zach Davidson and Sean Byer and Nick Muse. Uh, and you just say Johnny Munt as well uh, is there. He played for the Rams, so he kind of knows O'Connell and knows the system a little bit. But now this brings up again, and when Troy Ramage was on talking about the Vikings last week, he brought up the idea of C.J. Ham lining up a tight end. Well, now more than ever, that sure makes a lot of sense. Um, and as I was perusing Twitter today uh, around all the, minis- the Major League Baseball trades, I saw somebody suggest that as well, that C.J. Ham could uh, perform as a tight end. We know he's a great blocker. We know he can receive some out of the backfield. Um, he's not an Irv Smith Jr., of course, when it comes to talent, uh, but there's a possibility. And O'Connell, again, I think is, is creative enough and is certainly smart enough, hopefully, that he sees these sort of opportunities, and you might as well try it. Because if right now they're saying, we hope Smith is back in time for Green Bay on September 11th, instead of, well, we know he'll be back. It'll be fine. That leaves a little bit of lingering doubt here uh, in this fan's mind as far as you know what's going to happen when it comes to that. Uh, you know, the Vikings... We'll, we'll have a, another show before they play their first preseason game uh, against the Las Vegas Raiders on August 14th. And again, only three preseason games since they went to the 17-game schedule. They'll play the Raiders, they'll play the 49ers, and they'll play the Broncos. And really, you don't always see everything you can get, but, but good matchups in the preseason you know, against three teams that think they can contend this year. The Raiders certainly um, are thinking that they're um, they're in good shape now after their off season, and um, the 49ers, of course, we know are there. They, you know, knocked off the Packers last year in the playoffs. They've re-signed Debo Samuel, uh, and then the Broncos getting Russell Wilson. There's a lot going on there, and uh, um, you know, some good talent that the Vikings can can make some decisions on, can some play some things out uh, before they have to go and uh, face the Packers at U.S. Bank Stadium uh, in week one. So some excitement building. Uh, you know, we talked, too, with Troy last week about um, Andrew Booth Jr., Lewis Seen, and their possibilities of starting in week one. And uh, both of them have come out and impressed early on in training camp. In fact, you know, day one, Andrew Booth uh, picked off Kirk Cousins. And you might say, oh, well, it's just Kirk Cousins. But the reality is uh, Cousins is a pretty accurate passer, and so, you know, Booth, you know, broke on that and made a good play. You, you see these highlights out there um, from training camp. You see the reports and every, everybody's hunky-dory and happy and stuff. Um, but it, it's going to ramp up as they have some more of their contact practices. And, uh, and these young guys are going to try to impress. And again, to me, the offense is going to be fine. Even with Smith hurt and even if he's not ready to start the year, the offense is going to be fine for the Vikings. It's the defense that concerns me. And um, I'm most interested in the preseason to watch and see 
how the defense does and and what they um, some of the changes. And again, they're not going to show all their cards. Um, they're going to have to do some things to get these guys used to game situations in a new defense um, that they're not used to playing in. Uh, I also read a story this week in the Star Tribune about how they're settled at kicker. And you don't hear that often in the Minnesota Vikings territory. Greg Joseph is your kicker. And, of course, that's probably the kiss of death when it comes to Minnesota Vikings history. Uh, but hopefully Joseph was uh, more than competent last year. Uh, people tend to remember the big kicks that he missed, but there were a lot of big kicks that he made as well. And um, and that's pretty important uh, too. <clears throat> when we, uh, you know, we'll keep up with the wild, uh, not, excuse me, not the wild, with the uh, Lynx. I'm thinking about the wild, uh, but with the Lynx and, um, and see what happens next week. We'll be able to um, more accurately kind of figure out uh, if their offseason is starting or not. I was thinking of the Wild because I saw something where uh, Kasparov is on his way back over from Russia. There were concerns, of course, with the state of affairs uh, going on in Russia and uh, that he was maybe stuck over there, but he's on his way back to Minnesota, and so Wild fans can breathe a sigh of relief, one of their better players, and um, you know he'll be there and ready to go for the start of when NHL um Preseason training starts up as well. Let's finish off talking about the Twins. We've been very Twin-centric, and, uh, of course, that's what happens. You know, last year this time, nobody cared about the Twins anymore. They At the trade deadline, they were making trades to try to gain um, prospects because they weren't going to be in the playoff hunt, and then people turned and thought about the Vikings a lot more. Um, now you don't have to think about that. Now it's kind of that... Um, balancing out of, of, hey, we're still excited about the Twins, and I think my greatest problem could be, hey, if we get to September and the Vikings are playing and the Twins are in the playoff hunt, I'm um, balancing this show out a little bit, and that's a, that'll be a good problem uh, to have. Hopefully we'll have that. But as I mentioned to Lucas, I was at the game Monday with my wife and my son and his girlfriend, and what a tremendous game. I hadn't been to Target Field since 2019 because, well, COVID and then COVID again, and it was a little difficult. And actually in 2021, we were in Seattle and saw a Mariners game uh, against Houston. So we saw a Major League Baseball game, but it was good to be back in Target Field. Uh, we were out in right field. Uh, fantastic seats. It was a beautiful night, absolutely gorgeous. And to see the Twins win in walk-off fashion, I have been proclaiming on the show uh, my admiration for Gio Urshela all year. I think he's been so solid for this team. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think he's probably played in more games than anybody else has. Just coming back from paternity leave, and um, as my wife said, he she he hit that home run for his newborn daughter. Um, after he hit it, it was it was tremendous to be at a ballpark like that. And there was no energy up until the eighth inning. The Twins were pretty lackluster, and you just you started to wonder, here we go again. Um, but now, again, as you're listening to this, they'll have finished off their game against the their series against the Tigers. Hopefully, a sweep, but at the very least, two out of three. My concerns with Chris Archer going on Tuesday night are very real. Uh, and then Toronto comes to town for four, and Toronto bolstered their um, their lineup and and uh, roster a little bit. As I saw after I was t done talking to Lucas, they also picked up Whit Merrifield from Kansas City. There's a guy who likes to hit Twins pitching. Um, so that'll be an interesting, it'll be a good weekend for the Twins. It's their Hall of Fame induction weekend 
as well. And then they take a road trip out to the West Coast again. They play the Dodgers and they play the Angels. And uh, so, again, it's a tough stretch here for the Twins, but hopefully the energy and the enthusiasm that maybe they have in place now after that. But again, as we mentioned too, 20 games at home in the month of August, you got to win these games. You have to win two out of three, two out of three, two out of three, or in the case of um, in the case of Toronto, three out of four, at least split with Toronto. Again, I said at the start of the season, I thought the Toronto Blue Jays were my favorite to make the World Series from the American League. I still think they have a very real chance, but it's time for the Twins to show that they have a chance as well. And that's the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for This Week in Minnesota Sports History. On August 3rd in 1987, Twins pitcher Joe Negro was caught with a nail file on the mound in an 11-3 win on the road against the Angels. It's kind of humorous if you look up the video footage of that as he tries to nonchalantly toss it aside, and it's noticed by the umpires. He was, of course, ejected from the game, suspended for 10 games, which meant he missed two starts. But, of course, he took advantage of that, went on the David Letterman show and kind of had a good time with the whole thing with a big power sander and, and things of that nature. In 2007, the Twins lost to Cleveland 5-2 to in the Metrodome. Justin Morneau became the first Twins' first baseman to not record a putout. He didn't make any outs at first base, either thrown to him, caught by him. First time that it ever happened in Twins history. In 2019, on August 3rd, the Twins inducted Joe Nathan into the Team Hall of Fame. The Twins went on to beat the Royals 11-3. Nathan, of course, one of the all-time great closers on the Twins. We sure wouldn't mind Joe Nathan these days. On August 4th, in 1985, Rod Carew got his 3,000th hit, but he was an angel at the time and playing against the Twins. Frank Viola was on the mound, gave up that hit, and the Angels won 6-5. On August 4th in 1988, Alan Anderson became the first twin to pitch a complete game with no strikeouts and no walks in beating the Blue Jays in Toronto 2-1. Alan Anderson, a name you don't hear quite as much, but he was a good pitcher while he was here with the Twins, won the ERA title one year. In 1993, on August 4th, Ken Herbeck became the second twin to reach 1,000 RBI in his career, but the Twins lost 5-4 to Boston at home. In 1994, on August 4th, Ken Herbeck, once again, announced he would retire at the end of the season, but one which ended early because the player strike began later that month. Ken Herbeck, one of the all-time greats for the Minnesota Twins, two-time World Series champion. In 2019, on August 4th, the Twins inducted executive Jerry Bell into their Hall of Fame, and then Devin Smeltzer gained his first Major League Baseball win in a 3 to nothing victory over the Royals. Smeltzer went six shutout innings. I remember watching that game on TV, being very excited when a young man is able to accomplish something like that. It's always a good deal. On August 5th in 2001, Kirby Puckett and Dave Winfield were inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Puckett, of course, spent his whole career at the Twins and Winfield at the very end, though Winfield was from Minnesota in the first place. In 2018, on August 5th, the Twins inducted Johan Santana into the team Hall of Fame and then beat Kansas City 6-5. Are you noticing a trend here? Seems like they like to play the Kansas City Royals at home when they induct people into the Hall of Fame then go out and beat them. On August 6th, the 1967, the Twins' Dean Chance threw a perfect game in a 2-0 win over Boston, 
although it was called after five innings because of weather. So the game was official, but that is not officially recognized as a perfect game or a no-hitter. Chance would go on to throw one later in the month. A a no-hitter, not a perfect game, a no-hitter. In 1983, on August 6th, the Twins, excuse me, I were twin-centric, the Vikings, the Vikings beat the St. Louis Cardinals in London in the first ever exhibition game in Europe. The score was 28-10. to In 2013, on August 6th, Andrew Albers threw eight and a third scoreless innings in his Major League Baseball debut in a 7-0 Twins win in Kansas City. This was the longest debut shutout in Twins history, eight and a third innings. On August 7th in 2009, the Twins acquired Carl Pavano in a trade with Cleveland. Pavano did well when he was healthy here with the Twins. On August 8th in 1987, Hall of Famer Steve Carlton won the final game of his career in a 9-2 win over Oakland at the Metrodome. That was his 329th career win. In 1988, on August 8th, the Twins pulled off their second triple play of the season in a 7-2 win over Cleveland on 8-8-88. On August 9th in 1997, Brad Radke's 12 straight wins as a starting pitcher come to an end with a loss to the Yankees of all teams. He had been only the third pitcher since 1950 with a streak like that. I went to quite a few Twins games that year. They were they had season tickets for a buck a piece, and a group of us got a, a bunch of them and went to games. And I think my buddy Rick and I probably saw Radke pitching um, three of those wins that he had in that streak. He was really, really a tremendous pitcher, especially that season. Well, that'll do it for another helping of waffles here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you decided to come and spend an hour with me, and I hope you'll continue to tune in each and every Wednesday at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. If you can't catch the original broadcast, each week's episode will replay every evening at that same time at 365sportscast.com. You can also check out past shows on Spotify and YouTube. Remember, if you want to be part of the process, if you have any comments, you can email me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com, or message me on Twitter, at MrD1973. We'll be back next week for another look at the world of Minnesota sports. What will the Twins look like a week removed from the trade deadline? The Vikings will be closing in on their first preseason football game, and what will be the final outcome of the Minnesota Lynx season. Come on back and find out. I'll have another special guest to delve into all that and more. Thanks again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.